Good morning, everyone. My name is Brad. I'm one of the pastors here. It's wonderful to be with you this morning. If you're joining us online, it's great to have you. And uh, this morning, we get to talk about the end of the world. Armageddon, the second coming, the rapture, eschatology, the parousia, the eschaton. Right? We're excited. These are all terms that describe some or all of our Christian understanding of the time when the end will come. And we're going to do this in a very short mini-series over the next two weeks. Right? It's literally the minimum number to use the word weeks. Right? But I'm going to kick us off this morning. Then on Saturday, not like the Saturday between now and next Sunday, that Saturday at 9 o'clock here in the auditorium, Dr. Lindsay Rinquist is going to be coming to share. Dr. Lindsay was the principal of the Baptist Seminary when Grant and I studied there. He's a very, very knowledgeable guy. And he's going to be coming to share with us some of the different ways in which Christians understand the end times, some of the different frameworks and how we tie all of those scriptures together from Daniel to Thessalonians to Revelation to the Gospels and how all of those wrap up together, what they mean with Israel and Gaza and how it's going on there ties into the stuff in the scriptures. If you want to come and understand some of that stuff, come along on Saturday here in the auditorium from 9 to 10, 10.30. If you let Michelle know in the week, that'll be helpful for us. And then we'll make sure there's enough coffee for everyone. But uh, it's going to be a really exciting and interesting time for us next Saturday. And then after... Uh, Dr. Lindsay has done that. Then Roland is going to come and he's going to wrap us up. Um, and he's basically going to say to us, listen guys, some of you believe that the eschaton was inaugurated in AD 70 with the destruction of the temple. Some of you think it's still coming. We love Jesus. How do we navigate being in a community together with different views and how those things work? My job today is going to paint a little bit of a bigger picture for us. I'm going to share with you where we stand as a church and what we believe you need to do in light of the fact that Jesus' return is imminent. I want to start by acknowledging and saying that there has been a growing interest in eschatology, which is the long word for the study of the last things, right, over the last number of decades. And, and I think there are several reasons for this. Before I jump into some of those reasons, just an observation that I'm going to leave with you. You can do with it what you like. But as a pastor here at Connect, I have noticed that this subject seems to concern our older generations a little bit more than our younger generations. So when I have conversations with our young adults, most of the time they want to know about Calvinism and Arminianism. They want to understand God's sovereignty and human free will and and how those things wrap up together. Very infrequently do I have this conversation with them. Far more frequently when I'm chatting with you guys here at the 10 or at the 8, this is something that is a concern for you, something that's big in your worldviews and spaces. And that's just something that I've noticed. So do with that what you will. Throw it away, just passing on an observation to you. But I think one of the reasons for that is as we look at the world around us, we see a lot of brokenness, we see a lot of pain, we see a lot of sin. And especially, I think, as we get a bit older, you've finished forming yourself, and you kind of made your space in life. You begin to look out a little bit more, and you see the, the challenge that just exists in our world today. You see all of the stuff that's going on, And it creates in us this desire to see Jesus come and to wrap it all up and for all of that mess to be dealt with and fixed and brought to an end. So I think that's one of the reasons that eschatology has really been growing as an interest. I think a third reason is there is something about eschatology where it contains this element of mystery. And our human minds love to try and unravel mysteries. Mysteries involve the the, an unresolved tension. 
And so they involve knowing some things but not knowing everything. And usually not knowing how everything is connected together and ultimately how it's going to be resolved. So our minds love to try and puzzle those things out. That's why for generations, murder mysteries have been a top-selling genre in books. It's why you can go and you can buy a kit to host a murder mystery dinner at your house. Because we love trying to work stuff out and trying to see who done it and how it all works together and how all the different pieces of the puzzle fit together. And then finally, I think the internet has played a really significant role in the increase of interest in eschatology. Because at one level, now we have global information that is accessible at our fingertips. You know, 150 years ago, if there was a civil war in Australia, no one else knew about it. Because for news of the civil war in Australia to get you, someone had to get on a ship and take a long sail from Australia to somewhere else where you happen to be and not get wrecked in the process, and then you might find out about it. Now we have the news on our phones every day, and you get to see stuff that's happening. Secondly, there's this amazing blessing called the Reformation that happened about three centuries ago where the scriptures that used to be in Latin and no one could read them were translated into the vernacular, and now we have this amazing blessing being able to read the Bible for ourselves, which, by the way, was heretical three centuries ago. But it's very exciting now, and we praise the Lord for those reformers who pioneered that for us. But now what happens is as we are engaged in this mystery and we try and puzzle it out, and we're reading Daniel, and we're reading Revelation, we're reading Thessalonians, and we're seeing all these things, and we, we're trying to work it out, and we're trying to stitch together the pieces of Scripture, and then smartphones came along, and you discovered, hey, now that I've begun to puzzle something out, I'm going to record myself and share that with everyone else on the Internet, and YouTube becomes a place where a lot of people who have done work on puzzling these things out have shared what they've done. And some of that can be really good, and some of that cannot be so good. And the person can just be charismatic and persuasive and use clickbait titles and emotive language. Right, depending on who you find. And I won't tell you who I think is good or not because honestly, I haven't really checked it out. All of this makes eschatology one of the most frequently requested sermon topics that we as your pastors have received for quite some time. And it's one of the issues that have captured the global Christian attention most profoundly over the last few decades. And so I'm here to tell you this morning where we stand as a church and what we believe. All right, you finally get to hear it. Here it is. We believe, church, that Jesus will come back. Okay? Amen? Are we excited about that? Good? Right? We believe that when Jesus comes back, we will get to be with him, which is also very exciting. And we believe that our world is in a mess and that it is desperately in need of the redemption that Jesus will bring. And we believe that some of what we're seeing around us at the moment may be signs of the end. But here's what I won't tell you. I won't tell you when Jesus is coming back, because I don't know. I won't tell you how likely it is for Jesus to return in your lifetime, because I don't know that either. I won't tell you how and when the millennium of reign of Christ will be established or was established. I won't tell you if there's going to be a secret rapture of Christians around the globe. I won't tell you if there is a tribulation that we will have to go through or are currently living in. And as you hear that list, some of you might be wondering what on earth I'm talking about. If you're in that space, please come along on Saturday, and Dr. Rehnquist will help you understand some of those terms and a few others, I'm sure. Some of you might be sitting here, and you're quite frustrated with me. So you've heard me say those things, and you're like, actually, Brad, those are the things that we need to be speaking into as a church. Those are the things that people need to understand in light of the times that we're in at the moment. So if you're in that space, I'll ask you, give me a little bit of grace to explain to you why 
We're not going to speak into those things. And why we do speak, in our opinion, into the end times in a meaningful and significant way. Let me, say, let me tell you firstly why we are slow to speak directly into the end times things. There are two reasons that I want to share with you. And the first is this. If we come out and we make strong statements about the end times and what's happening and when it's happening, there are very real consequences to being wrong. I'm going to illustrate this with an example from a ministry that exists in our church. We have a prophetic team in this church, and that team is here at your disposal to ask God what he wants to say into your life and to speak that as an encouragement to you. And I want to really encourage you, if you've never been for a prophetic session and that's weird for you, just phone Michelle, ask her for a slot. It's on Thursday evenings, and the team do a really wonderful job of encouraging you in a godly and a biblical way. You'll find that a real blessing. And when you go to that session... I am sure that you will be blessed because I know the caliber of the people that we have operating in that space and I know the faithfulness of God. They will share with you words that encourage you. They will share with you words that might open up some of what God might have already said to you. But here's what they won't say to you. They won't give you any words about marriage and about a new person, partner that God is bringing into your life. They won't give you any words about children and whether or not you're going to have children. And they won't give you any words about whether or not you're going to die in the near future. The reason for that is not because God doesn't know those things. God knows all things. The reason is also not that God doesn't sometimes choose to communicate those things to us. Sometimes God does that. But the reason is if they say one of those things and they get it wrong because they're human and fallible just like all of us are. And you take that as the word of God in your life. The damage that can do in your life is very, very real. Right? In the same way, we are slow to speak directly into the end times because if we get it wrong, the damage can be very real. Let me unpack that a little bit more for you with, with sort of three subcategories. And the first is this. Christians have been getting the end times wrong and the coming of Jesus wrong for ages. And by ages, I literally mean millennia, thousands of years. You just do some research. I mean, there are so many examples I could share with you, but I'll give you four. Right? In the third century, a Christian theologian by the name of Hippolytus of Rome, he predicted Jesus would come again in the fifth century, 500 BC. Clearly, he was wrong. In 1836, John Wesley, who was the founder of the Methodist Church, he saw the Pope of the Catholic Church as the Antichrist of Scripture, and he wrote about it. In 1888, a chap called Edgar Winnersnat predicted that the rapture would happen, and he sold 4.8 million copies of his book, where people were convinced he was right. I was born two years, I was two years old when that happened. Jesus did not come. We are still waiting. Christian evangelist, and I use that in inverted commas because I don't think he did us any favors, by the name of Harold Camping, he famously predicted that the rapture would come in May of 2011. And that after the rapture in May, the world would end in October of 2011. Unfortunately for Harold, we are still here. We are still waiting. There's a picture of one of his cars that was associated with his movement. He had a radio network. He broadcast this message across America. They had cars driving around warning people, guys, the end is coming. Repent. Believe. God, Jesus is coming back now. Problem was a lot of his followers believed him. They quit their jobs, they sold their houses, they liquidated their savings, and they channeled it into his ministry because they believed he was right. And then they weren't raptured 
in May of 2011. And the world didn't end in October of that year, and they were left destitute. Jesus is very clear. He says, no one knows the day or the hour, not even the sun. He taught that his coming would be unexpected, like a thief in the night. And if you know anything about thieves that rob you in the night, if you know when the thief is coming, you don't get robbed. Because you wait up, and you make sure the doors are bolted and locked, and you phone BH, and you're like, there's a thief here now. Please sort it out. Everyone throughout history who thought they knew when the end times was coming and happening turned out to be wrong. We want to be real careful that we don't say something strong and become a part of that tradition. So that's the first reason we're slow to speak directly. The second is this. False hope and fear-mongering are unhelpful. You see, if we say the end is coming soon, and we say it, and you act on it, and it happens, it's great. But if we say it, and you act on it, and there's a delay, that becomes very, very unhelpful. Because say you're going through a particularly challenging time in your life, and now you have this hope that the end is going to come soon, within the next couple of months. And then the end doesn't come, and you begin to wonder, can God be trusted? Can, can the Bible be trusted? Can the church be trusted? Your faith gets shaken. Or we can stray from that, we can stray from good biblical admonition, which is something that I think we are called to do, and something we're going to be doing over the next two weeks. But we can push that into fear-mongering, and we can begin to inspire the fear of hell in you in order to manipulate you to do something. Church globally has done that. Thirdly, and finally, as I've engaged, and as we as a pastoral team and an eldership have engaged with you guys as the church, we have heard a wide range of application that people would desire in light of the fact that Jesus' return is imminent. And it has gone from, can you keep your money in the bank? Because maybe you need to take it out. To, can you trust the World Trade Organization or the UN? Has the anti spirit of the Antichrist begun to subvert those organizations and the work that they're doing is now ultimately about bringing about the devil's plan for the end? What is exactly the mark of the beast and have you got it accidentally? There are a lot of questions and a wide range of things that you would like us to tell you what to do. And if we get those things wrong, they can have very real consequences in your life. So we're slow to speak about these things. The second reason for that is because as Christians, we find this segment of theology deeply intriguing. And sometimes the intriguingness of this piece of theology can be distracting in your life. Remember what I said about mystery earlier? It's precisely the problem when it comes to the end times. Because God recorded his record of when the end is going to come for us in, a, in an obscure way, he recorded it in a way that remains cryptic. He literally said things like, let the reader understand. Like, Jesus, that wasn't the most helpful thing you could have said. Could you not have said, this is how it will all happen? You know, he just said, work it out. You know, the number of the beast is 666. Like, understand that. And you're like, thanks. Of course, people have been trying to do that for generations. God ensured that it would be cryptic. And he invited us to search it out, but he gave us... enough to be able to search, but enough that it also remained hidden for us. And that creates, for the Christian, it creates this mystery that can become quite irresistible. Let me give you an example of this. I, um, I went on YouTube, as any of you can do, and I did a search for the end times. And close to the top of the list, I discovered this teacher called Jimmy Evans. Now, I want to say right up front, I know nothing about Mr. Evans. He may be a fantastic Bible teacher. He may be a total charlatan. I literally just don't know. Right, but I just, I went onto his channel and I sorted his videos from oldest to newest. 
And his page started out looking like that. And uh, he actually started his ministry. He spoke into marriages and relationships. And uh, those were the focus of what he, what he did and what he posted on YouTube. You won't be able to see the figures of that. You'll just get the sense of it. But uh, the average number of views on, for the 12 videos on that page, add them all together, divide by 12, is 20,500 views per video, which is pretty great. Lord, I would love it if you would bring 20,500 people to each of our videos that we make on a Sunday. That would be great. However, one of those videos is about the Antichrist. There's a bit of an outlier. That one is 110,000 views by itself. So if we take that one out and we then divide the rest by 11, you get 12,500 views per video. I then scrolled down a little way. So that's three years ago. I then scrolled down to we got to videos from two years ago. And I noticed this page got a bit of a makeover. Can you see how it looks different? Right? He started using some nice clickbait titles, and he started speaking exclusively about the end times. The average number of views for the videos on that page is 380,000 per video. That is an increase of 3,000% inside one year. The reason I show you that is to show you that as Christians, we are deeply fascinated by the subject of the end times. It draws our attention. And I want to start by saying that is good. It's not wrong to be interested in what's going to happen at the end. In fact, Scripture encourages us to add knowledge to our faith in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 5. Scripture encourages us to seek understanding. In fact, theology is described as faith seeking understanding. That's what we try and do as we read Scripture. We try to understand it, and that's good. But sometimes the quest for understanding can override the higher and the more fundamental calling that we have. The calling to live a holy life. The calling to make disciples. To teach others to obey all that Jesus taught us. And to continue the work of Jesus until he comes again. See, this beautiful mystery can, can draw us in and it can capture us and it can so fill our perceptions that it can become for us the most important thing. Friends, I want to share a caution with you this morning. And I think for some, the study and the understanding of the end times can actually become an idol for us. It can become elevated in your life to the place where it is of such high import that it actually usurps Jesus himself. It overrides him and his presence and his worship and the other commands that he gives, and it becomes the only thing that really matters to you. And I want to suggest to you that if you find yourself in that place, I think you've gone too far. That that mystery has become too intriguing for you and you might need to take a step back and remember the bigger picture. For God has called us to more than just knowledge, but to obedience to all that he has commanded us. So those are the two reasons as a church we are slow to address that directly. Sometimes, if we are wrong, the consequences are very real. And sometimes that actually putting, giving it too much attention can create a distraction in the things God has actually called us to do day by day. But you might be sitting and you might be like, well, Brad, that's all well and good, but what if we really are in the end times? If we are in those times, surely we need to be saying something about it. Surely we need to be telling people to get ready. And and guys, we really might be in those times. I mean, I kind of hope that we are, because I'm, I'm tired of seeing the brokenness of the world around me. But I know that there are still people that need Jesus. And it's certainly possible that some of what we're seeing manifest around the world today may be signs that we are moving towards an end point. 
So how do we choose to address the end times? Because here's what the question really boils down to. If the end times are really upon us, what should you be doing about it? If these are the moments before Jesus comes, what does that mean for you? And to answer that question, I am finally going to turn to Scripture. Because sermons are not an opportunity for Brad to have a diatribe, but for us to discover what God has said to us together in Scripture. So let's turn. If you've got a Bible, we're going to go to Matthew chapter 25. Otherwise, it's going to be on the screen. We're going to read from verses 1 to 13 together. Jesus says this to his disciples. He says, At that time, the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and they went out to meet the bridegroom. And five of them were foolish and five of them were wise. The foolish ones took their lamps but did not take any oil with them. The wise ones, however, took oil in jars along with their lamps. Now the bridegroom was a long time in coming, and they were all drowsy and they fell asleep. And at midnight the cry rang out, here's the bridegroom, come out and meet him. And then all the virgins woke up and they trimmed their lamps. And the foolish ones said to the wise, look, give us some of your oil because our lamps are going out. No, they replied, there may not be enough for both us and you. Instead, go to those who sell oil and buy some for yourselves. But while they were on their way to buy the oil, the bridegroom arrived, and the virgins who were ready went in with him to the wedding banquet, and the door was shut. Later, the others also came, and they said, Lord, Lord, open the door for us. But he replied, truly, I tell you, I don't know you. Therefore, keep watch, because you do not know the day or the hour. Let me use this parable that Jesus has told us to illustrate a few things. And let's start right at the beginning in verse 1. Jesus says, at that time. What time is he talking about? Well, to see that, we're going to jump back a little bit to Matthew chapter 24, and we're going to see what Jesus is talking about in Matthew chapter 24. And I'm going to summarize it for you because it's a long chapter. But Jesus says, the destruction of the temple is coming. He says, there's a time when the end is going to come. He says, there's this thing called the abomination that causes desolation. When you see that, watch out because the end is near. And then he says, he says, I will come again. There will be a second coming where Christ comes to the earth. By the way, in Matthew chapter 24, Jesus also says this. He says, you will hear of wars and rumors of wars, but see to it that you are not alarmed when you hear these things. Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. The end is not yet. Nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All of these are birthing pains. Wars, famines, and earthquakes are not to alarm us. They're not to alarm us. They actually don't herald the end themselves. They are just birthing pains. There are other things Jesus says. When you discover what the abomination that causes desolation is, and you see that in the holy place, then you can know the end is close. Let's go back to Matthew 25. When Jesus says, at that time, what time is he talking about? He's talking about the time just before he comes again. He's talking about the time when all of those things are about to happen. And then he uses, in this parable that he tells, he uses two main characters. He uses the bridegroom and he uses ten virgins. And maybe this goes without saying, but we need to identify those characters. Jesus is the bridegroom. Jesus is the bridegroom. Who are the virgins that are waiting for him to come? Who waits for Jesus to come again? Anyone? Us. Christians. Does the unsaved world care that Jesus is coming again? No, they don't believe in Jesus. They don't think, that some of them deny he even lived. They definitely don't think he rose again, and they don't care that he might be coming back. It's Christians. Christians are the ones who are waiting for Jesus to come. 
Verse 5 says, the bridegroom was a long time in coming. I want you to notice this. There is a delay between when the Christians, the virgins, expect Jesus to arrive and when he actually comes. There is a delay. In other words, Jesus comes later than they thought he would. That's been true for us for millennia. At midnight, the cry goes out, verse 6. Here's the bridegroom. Come out and meet him. Eventually, Jesus arrives. Jesus is coming. He really is coming. He might be late, but he is coming. And the virgins get up. And I, I want to say, midnight is pretty late for any groom to arrive at their wedding. If you invite me to your wedding and you haven't shown up by 12 o'clock at night, I'm going to go home. All right? I want to sleep. There's another day that I've got to get through. But eventually, Jesus comes and he is late. And the virgins get up and they light their lamps and they're all ready to go out and meet them. But half of them don't have enough oil. What does that tell us? It tells us that half of them didn't anticipate that Jesus would be as long in coming as he was. They were unprepared for the delay between when they thought he was going to come and when he actually came. And so they say to the other five, hey guys, give us some oil. We only, but the other five say, listen, we only brought enough for our own lamps. And if we share it out, then both of our lamps are going to go out before Jesus gets here. So unfortunately, we don't have any oil. Go and buy some oil. I think that's a really interesting phrase, just by the by. I don't, Jesus is telling this parable. I don't know how many 24-7 convenience stores he anticipated first century Palestine to have where oil can be bought at midnight. Uh, you would have thought he would have said, go home and fetch more oil. But anyway, off they go on a fruitless quest to buy oil. And as they're out hunting for the convenience store that may or may not exist, Jesus arrives. And he finds the five virgins who were prepared, and then he welcomes them into the banquet. And then the other five show up later. And they find that the door has been closed, and they're now excluded from the wedding. And Jesus finishes with this lesson. He says, therefore, keep watch, because you do not know the day or the hour. Keep watch, be wise, be ready. Because you don't know when I'm coming. Here's the heart of that question. What does it mean to be ready? What does it mean to to be ready? What set the five virgins apart from the others? And often as people have tried to answer this, they've answered it through typology. Typology is where one thing stands for something else. In the story, we've got characters and they represent someone else. The bridegroom represents Jesus. The virgins represent us as Christians who are waiting. And so they say, well, what does the oil represent? And some, depending on your tradition, your background, some will say it represents the Holy Spirit. Some will say, no, it represents the law, depending on how they read that. And I want to say, I think typology misses the point of this parable. See, just before this parable, the very end of Matthew chapter 24, Jesus gives an illustration. Remember when the scriptures were originally written, there was no chapter divisions. The one story just flowed straight from the one into the next. And in this illustration that Jesus gives that flows directly into this parable, he says, look, guys, there's a master and there are two types of servants that a master can have. And this master, he's gone away, but he's coming back at an undisclosed time. He says the one type of servant continues to diligently do all the things that the master has asked him to do while he's out. And the other type of servant thinks, hey, my master's gone. This is most lacquer. I'm going to, I'm in charge now. Listen, you guys do this, do that, do that. I'm just going to park off here. You do all the work. And then he starts to drink the master's wine and eat the master's food and generally live it up and have a lack of time. Jesus says, when the master comes home, one servant is going to be commended and one servant is going to face very severe punishments. 
And there are no prizes this morning for guessing which servant gets what. What does it mean to be ready? What does it mean to be wise as we wait for the return of Jesus? Even if our waiting is in the time of the end. Remember Jesus said, at that time, at the moment just before I arrive. This is the time that he's speaking into. To be wise, to be ready, means to diligently do what our master has entrusted us to do. It means to seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. It means to pick up our cross daily, to deny ourselves and to follow Jesus. It means that in our going, as you live your life, to make disciples of all nations, wherever you happen to be. It means to live holy and righteous lives before God. It means to love others so that when the world looks at the way you act, they know that you are Jesus' disciples and it points them back to the King. That's what our Master has called us to do in His absence. Friends, that's what it means to keep watch with wisdom. So for those of you who feel we might well be in the birthing pains of the end, as I said, it's possible that you're right. And honestly, I pray that you are. But our responsibility to that possibility is that God has called us to continue the work of Jesus until he comes to bring us home. And the way we speak as a church into the end times is to continue to call you to continue the work of Jesus until he comes again. Because that is what Jesus wants to find you doing when he gets home. He doesn't want to find you living it up, enjoying his bounty, and not doing what he's called you to. We don't know when all of this is going to happen. But I promise you this, Jesus is going to come again. And when he comes, you want to be real sure that you're one of the virgins that's got oil for your lamp. And so as we close this morning, I'm going to just invite you to consider some questions. In light of some of Jesus' more prominent commands, and there are many more we could have placed there, but these five fit onto the slide at a font size that you can read. How do you try and seek first Jesus' kingdom and his righteousness in your life? How do you try and seek first his kingdom and his righteousness? On a daily basis, How do you try to deny yourself as you follow Jesus? As you live your life in your going, are you aware of the people God is bringing across your path so that you might disciple them? Are you asking God to reveal the sin that's in your life so that you can be holy and blameless before Him? Do you do a good job of loving others? So that when others look at you, they say there's something different about Rich. There's something different about Haley. Because when I see the way in which they care for others, I see Jesus in them. And I know that they're his disciples. We're going to close, and I'm going to give you just a couple of moments for some quiet reflection. We're going to leave that up on the screen. And if you want to look at it, you're welcome to do that. But I'd love you to just... Sit with these questions before the Lord and say, God, is there something in here that you are calling me to as I wait for you to come back, as I keep watch, as I know that your return is imminent? Are you wanting something out of this to happen in my life? Let's just take some time to be quiet before the Lord. And Holy Spirit, we just welcome you to be moving in our midst this morning.
And to be showing us, God, what are the, the places you want to just put your finger on in our lives? And we would be doing the things that you've called for us to do. Holy Spirit, we thank you so much for your presence with us this morning. Lord, we want to be a people that are waiting for your return with wisdom, who are diligently doing what you have given us to do, that you would return and be proud of your church. Lord, I pray for us as we are here this morning, help us to see how we can seek first your kingdom and your righteousness and not to live first for ourselves. Help us to recognize what it means for us to deny ourselves daily, to live not for our own sake first, but for the sake of others and for the sake of the kingdom of God. Help us to see, God, the people that you are bringing into our lives, into our spaces, people that you've given us grace to have a relationship with, to have influence over, to to touch their world, and to see how we might begin a disciple-making journey with them. Help us, God, to be a holy people. Jesus, you called us and you said, I want you to be holy as your Father in heaven is holy. And God, we know that calling is so far above our own means of getting there. God, give us grace to see the stuff in our life, the sin that exists in our life that is keeping us away from that standard. Help us, Lord, to see and to repent, to turn from that and to receive your forgiveness and to increase in in a greater and greater degrees of holiness as we reflect you more and more. Help us, God, to do a really good job of loving other people, of thinking of their needs ahead of our own, of having our eyes open to the people around us who need love, who need care, who need to be encouraged, who need support, that when our non-unsaved friends and family and colleagues look at us. They would see something different because of the way that we love others. And they would know that we are your disciples. Lord Jesus, we ask these things in your wonderful, mighty, and powerful name as we wait for your imminent return. In Jesus' name, amen. Friends, thank you so much for being with us this morning. Our service is sort of at a close. In this space, if you want to remain, you want to do some ministry, you're so welcome to do that. And our leaders are very willing to do some ministry with you.
If you want some tea and coffee outside in the Connect Cafe, please do that. Please stick around. We'd love to get to know you and to connect you into the space here at Connect. And uh, remember, if you want to come and find out more about this end time stuff and the different ways in which Christians have sought to understand it, come and join us next Saturday here at 9 o'clock. Thanks so much, and have a lovely Sunday.